Hi, everybody. This is Ben Kitchings, the History Voyager, and I'm here with Thomas. And we're going to have an interesting conversation about businesses and COVID and Lord knows whatever else we get into. But uh, how you doing, Thomas? I'm doing great. Um, I certainly haven't had enough coffee yet this morning, but um, I'm working my way there. So, okay. I, I don't know if you've heard, but I do... I've done a lot of these COVID episodes, these COVID business episodes, but they were a long time ago now. And I thought I would talk to the people and see how they're hanging in with this phase of the pandemic. Um, uh, I guess the first question is, uh, tell me what you think about COVID, first of all. Like, what, do you, what are your thoughts on COVID? Well, it's... Um... It's it's a great question. <laughs> um, I, I think COVID for for me personally has been a very um, divisive. I don't know if that's the correct word. If I'm saying it correctly, um, it, it's certainly been uh, how about this polarizing for a lot of people. For me personally, um, so I, I'm a student of history. So being a student of history, you know, I tend to look at like, you know, here's the past. Let's not repeat the mistakes that we made and i see that we're making mistakes all over the place unfortunately for me i can't control everybody else so i mean i can only control what i what i have but from a business perspective um it, it's been a huge challenge um for us especially in the environment that we're we're in here in alaska and then on top of that a lot of our customers are uh, restaurants hospitality and retail so okay. with the shutdowns and that type of thing, it, it's been a huge pain on them and therefore our business. So it, it, it's, it's been a, it's been a challenge. All right. I, I don't think in any of our chats or reddits or anything like that, I actually asked you, what, what are you in? What, what line of business are you in? First of all. So the business that um, I co-own, it's a point of sale business. So what point of sale essentially is, is, um, a specialized computer business, if you will. So our computer systems deal strictly with, um, hospitality retail. So what we like to say, fancy cash registers, if you will. <laughs> so, so essentially, okay. So I guess I'm familiar with the square app. So essentially like the square app and, and yeah, it's, it's similar to that. Um, Square is, is, is a simplistic type of app. Um, so with something like that, you know, you kind of just go out and get it, or maybe they ship you something. Mm. Uh, it's, it's more, um, you know, very easy and accessible to use. Um, you typically for smaller businesses, like maybe, um, a coffee shop with only one register, if you will, something, something along those lines. So where our systems are a little bit more complex, where people have a complex business where they need, you know, multiple registers. And so their complexities grow. So they need a, a bigger system and therefore a lot more support. So kind of in, in our aspect is, you know, we're providing a lot more value than just, hey, here's the software and hardware. You know, this is much more of a of an ecosystem, something that you know really yeah. does run your business. Yeah. So that's kind of cool. I mean, wow. 
And you just, do you deal with Alaska or do you deal with, I guess when I say all over, we need to find, define where all over is. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Alaska, a lot of people have, uh, <laughs> they look at the map and they're like, yeah, Alaska is that little place up in the corner or the bottom <laughs> left of the map. Um, geographically uh, speaking, Alaska is a huge state. Um, yeah. And the way that the globe and maps are typically slightly distorted, if you place mm -hmm. Alaska over the continental United States, you'd find that it's probably about as big as the western half of the United States. So land-wise, we're, we're talking about a huge place. So we cover the entire state um, from all angles. So we fly out to all kinds of interesting places. Um, but population-wise, yeah. we're probably... I think 740,000 people throughout the whole state. So tons of land, not many people, but, um, you know, we, yeah. we do have challenges. We end up in some of the weirdest places, I guess, for people from the lower 48. And so that's a term that we have for people that don't <laughs> live in Alaska. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I have listeners all over the world, so I, I, I guess maybe we should, Alaska's, um kind of above the arctic circle or part of it or parts whatever. of it are in the arctic circle so I, I i i'm based out of anchorage so anchorage is the more populous area of the state um we're just okay. below the arctic circle but we do get a lot of the effects wow. of kind of what you would <laughs> see from like right now i think we have four four and a half hours of daylight a day um conversely in the summertime at its peak you know, the sun never really goes down. It just kind of gets dim for an hour or so. So um, we get some of those extra special effects, if you will, from, you know, yeah. being so high up. Okay. And I guess you still have oil and gas money there or. Yeah. Oil. Um, yeah. Oil has been, um, been, been an interesting thing. So it really helped develop the uh, uh, early Alaskan economy after we became a state. But in the past, I think ten years, um, it, it's the the price of oil and gas have kind of been cyclical. Um, and mm. some of the interesting things about our state is we don't pay any taxes, uh, no uh, state income tax, and in Anchorage, we don't pay a sales tax. So that's okay. that was actually appealing to me whenever I moved here about fourteen years ago. But a lot of that's due to the the taxes on oil and, and whatnot. So, um, yeah. with the volatility in the market, there's actually a lot of talk about bringing taxes in because of, uh, budget shortfalls and whatnot. So, um, it, it is an interesting time to be here, but yeah, a, a lot of, a lot of our industry is related around oil, fishing yeah. and tourism, probably in that order. Okay. So talk to me a little bit about your specific challenges with with covid well in and alaska should, oh, go i ahead. guess we should first say like when i asked you earlier what do you think about covid i've talked to folks that don't think covid is real <laughs> and it goes all the way from they don't think it's real to they think it's real they know people that have died from it or they know people who know people or whatever right but Maybe they think it's the government over, you know, overshot the mark or, or what have you. 
Um, and then you have other people that are convinced this is like, like a black death in training, basically. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, so, um, for me personally, you know, I see it kind of as, you know, the modern version of the Spanish flu. So okay. you kind of go back in history and look at, you know, the things that were going on. People back then were throwing a fit about not or having to wear a mask. So in a lot of ways, you see kind of some interesting parallels to how society essentially kind of reacts to something like this. So, you know, mm -hmm. it's kind of like the saying, there's nothing new under the sun. In, in a way, I guess it is. Um, for me personally, I know it exists. I've had COVID. Um, oh, Jesus. So, yeah, um, it wasn't too bad. So I was vaccinated with the Moderna shot. I think it was March or April. It was about whatever time it was that they opened it up to people my age group, which um, 46 ish, somewhere around there. Um, so I had that and I had the, <laughs> the vaccine hangover that, that afternoon and the next day. And it was pretty interesting. Like about 24 hours later, it was just gone and I was yeah. just felt great. And then I had the second shot, however long it was later. Um, but it was probably about August. I had some, my in-laws fly up and they were unvaccinated and we spent a lot of time just kind of being the tour guide. And so we all got COVID. Uh, we didn't find out until after they left and it was a fairly mild yeah. case, but yeah, definitely a believer that exists. I could see the, uh, the weird type of symptoms, you know, with the loss of taste, um, the mental fugue, I guess is the word. Maybe I'm pronouncing it wrong. Yeah, it's like a fog or, I mean, yeah. they say it accelerates uh, Alzheimer's in people and it accelerates uh, dementia. And, uh, yeah. It was um, it was probably about two weeks of that mental lack of clarity. As a, as a person, I, I'm not a drinker or drug taker. Um, now occasionally I may dabble in some of that stuff and, you know, socially as far as like a drink or two. Um, but yeah. I'm definitely a person that prides myself on like mental clarity. I want to, I want to be clear on where I'm at at all times. It's kind of a, maybe an OCD thing. I just want to be in control of my faculties. Yeah. Um, so that was a little bit disconcerting to be, geez, I, I'm not sure if I can remember that or, you know, those types of things. So that was probably the scariest part of all, you know, I didn't feel like I was physically unfit or unhealthy so much as to something kind of like a, like a bad cold sort of maybe, but right. it, it honestly yeah. wasn't that bad, but that mental faculty thing, definitely a little concerning. So as soon as it kind of went away, which like there was a couple of weeks where it was like, I feel like I'm 90%. <laughs> I'm not a hundred percent. And then maybe a week later, maybe 95, but yeah, I still feel yeah. some of that, but that, that was definitely concerning. Okay. Yeah. So, so, okay. So your point of sale guy, retail hosp hospitality. So has your business dropped off for a while and then picked back up or? It did. It did. Okay. Whenever, um, whenever the pandemic first hit, I think, um, I think it was around March of, um, I'm trying to think now, 2020. Um, we, 
Alaska is, is kind of like a hibernating bear. So especially with the hospitality industry. So during the wintertime, most of everybody kind of goes dormant. You know, they're not really doing a lot of sales. You don't have a lot of tourists because, you know, I mean, let's be realistic. Most people do not want to come to the frozen great white North to enjoy a holiday, just not in their plans. <laughs> but, um, yeah, business owners typically will go to Hawaii or they'll go on vacation. So there's not a lot of big business decisions happening where you're just kind of maintaining business. But around spring or around yeah, February, March, spring for the lower 48, spring for us doesn't exist. We've got winter and summer. <laughs> but around that springtime area, um, people will kind of start getting ready for tourism and, and that type of stuff. So we never had that happen during that year. Um, people, instead of getting ready, maybe they didn't open up at all. Or um, mm. in the, the municipality Anchorage, they shut down a lot of indoor dining. So mm. you didn't really have the the summertime where the bear gets to go out and eat all the fish. You know, essentially, businesses were starving. And so a lot of our business revenue is based off of the success of these other uh, companies that we work with. Mm. We were kind of starving too. And so we tried to make this transition from, you know, indoor dining and, you know, indoor shopping type in, of environments to less do online ordering, less do um, takeout and curbside delivery, which, you know, in the, I guess in the grand scheme of things, a lot of restaurateurs were not prepared for it. The technology existed for years. Mm. It's actually mm. been around for quite some time, but we've seen where most merchants just are not willing to take on new technologies until they absolutely had to. Well, in this case, they had mm. to, or else they mm. were just going to die. And so we had this huge buildup of, you know, frantic phone calls and we need to do this right away. And so we were able to help mm. our customers survive, but you know, they were not thriving, you know, it was definitely definition of survival. And so that existed for at least a year until I, I would say probably, probably sometime in 2021 where, you know, mm. the, the vaccine is out, people are getting a little bit more comfortable. Some restrictions have eased off. Um, so I kind of feel like the last six months we've kind of, just kind of been getting back to somewhat of a normal mm -hmm. and now you've got omicron or omicron <laughs> it sounds like a transformers villain um <laughs> is yeah is here and um yeah. you know things have gotten a little bit weird so um yeah it's it, it, it's been yeah. really crazy with our business we've had to pivot and shift a whole lot you know the word adapt is gets thrown up into just about every meeting that we've ever had um, but there's been some distinct benefits from all those changes. Um, there, there really has. So I think it's made us a, yeah. a better business because, you know, we can exist, you know, this is probably one of the worst things that could happen outside of something that would cause the business to, to close down. So if we can do really well in this, you know, kind of like the disaster guide, we've been living the disaster guide or manual to the business for the last yeah. year and a half. You know, we should be able to weather just about any storm, hopefully. I'm not looking so, to be challenged in that area. So why don't you tell me, um, 
like you said earlier, you, in fact, you just said, like some of the positive, like some of the positive things that came out of this for your business. So, or I guess for the environment as a whole. So what are some of the positives you think? Well, I, you know, probably the, the first thing that pops in my mind is that people have adopted technology to, you know, I, I sit on a couple of different boards for some um, peer associations and, and whatnot. And one of those is a technical board. Yeah. And so they're always pestering us like, well, what's the greatest newest tech that you saw come out and all these other things. <laughs> and I haven't really seen it, but what my opinion is, has been in the past two years is, you know, the, the technologies that have been out there that have been amazing, but nobody wanted to use like EMV, you know, tap to pay NFC mm. QR codes, which QR codes to me, essentially they've been dead for years. <laughs> But now they're so relevant and essentially kind of being a part of that business life to, you know, to me, that's the real pros. Like it's forced people to say, come out of that mentality of I've done it this way and my dad did it this way and we're always going to do it this way and we're not going to use that. We don't, we're not that kind of business. Now they're like, that helped me survive, you know? This right. was really amazing technology. It's doing really well for my business, you know, and almost, almost maybe changing that thought process of what other technology is going to help me in the future. Um, and what are those benefits? So I, yeah. I think it's shifted people's mindsets, not well in, in that kind of, you know, perspective from a business and technology perspective, but I think it's changed a lot of people's minds to what's possible you know, even in the labor market, which thankfully yeah. we haven't at my business, haven't had a, a real huge problem with, but our customers have had a, a big problem, but really kind of shifted people's thinking as to what's possible and what their lives are really about. One, one thing that I've thought about a lot, one thing I've said on my podcast and other podcasts all over the world, and I'm about to say it again, <laughs> is the thing that strikes me is all we did was take pre-existing technology so far, right? Right. Okay. But I think, like, the thing that's becoming apparent to me, because I, I study COVID now, right? I take my COVID episodes really seriously. Um, so I study COVID. And the thing that has become apparent to me is COVID's going to stick around. Right, it's it's gonna stick around. So people, when when people start inventing technology, based on that thought that COVID's just gonna be here, okay, that's when things are gonna start to really get changed, okay. Like I'll give you an example. Um, you and I are, are about the same age, okay. But I'll give you an example. The only way I know what Discord is, is because I have a podcast. Okay, do you, do you know what Discord is? I do. Um, okay. I've been a long time gamer and tech enthusiast. So, yeah, you know, let's, let's just put it this way. I, at, only recently in the past three or four years have I kind of given up on latest, greatest, you know, I need to know everything. Um, so I know what discord is I've used it, but honestly, yeah. I've, the older I've gotten, I'm like, you know, there's, 
there's some more important things, but yeah, I do. Okay, so the first time I ever saw Discord, like the very first time I saw Discord was about, what year is this today? Uh, like when I started my podcast in a couple of months, is coming up on a two-year anniversary. So right around that, right around that two-year anniversary, okay? It, right around two years ago, I found Discord for the first time. When I saw Discord for the first time, I immediately, because I saw it as an adult for the first time, mm-hmm. I immediately said, oh, Jesus, when the kids using this realize what this really is, this is going to change the world. Right? When they realize yeah. you can have multi, you can have conversations with different people all over the planet. You can share files with people all over the planet at the same time. Right, right. <laughs> this is gonna. I said, like, this is gonna kill offices as we know it. Yeah, it's it's inter- inter- interesting that you say that. Um, so one of the things that we've, as kind of a byproduct of my techno <laughs> lust, I guess, if you will, over the years, um, you know, offices are are typically run off of very typical type things like office. You know, now it's Office 365. Um, at one point, you know, we uh, we didn't have an inner office messenger. So I think we ended up with um, MSN Messenger, you know, and that involved into Skype. Um, and then we went yeah. to something called Slack, um, yeah. which at the time, you know, we had never heard of Slack, but one of our vendors was using it. And we saw how powerful that was with being able to, um, you know, communicate and, and text and drop files and have all these different types of things and then be able to search it kind of like a database, you know, where like, Hey, we were having this conversation, you know, let me search for it. And it's like, Oh yeah, it was last year. And, you know, here was the relevant files and whatnot. Um, and then Microsoft teams came out and, you know, with its video conferencing and now you can actually have your own business phone communication through Microsoft teams, which is what we do. Um, it's really kind of pushed all these things into the centralized type of communication thing, kind of like what discord probably already did. Um, but more so, um, it, it really has changed how we've done business, but with the pandemic, it made us truly mobile. We, you know, we could essentially do, and it's not a pitch for office 365. They're not a sponsor unless they are, um, <laughs> no, they're not a sponsor, but <laughs> But, you know, we could we could run most of our operations anywhere. You know, you just kind of, you know, it's, you know, all, right. like all our phone calls were routed through Teams. So, you know, if we're out of the office, they rang to our cell phone. Um, it's it has been this, you know, game changing technology that, you know, a few years ago, like this stuff kind of sort of existed, but nobody wanted to do it. They were like, oh, it's too expensive. It's too complicated. I don't want to learn that. Why do I want to learn that? Right. Yeah. A lot of that. I don't want to learn that. Um, But, you know, the pandemic forces you to do this because you've got no other choice. And it's, well, sometimes if you have no choice, it's like, yeah, all right. You know, it's that great motivator. You've got nothing else. This is what you have to have. Right. And it's also amazing. Like, it's also amazing thinking about it, how it's like, it's not that you don't have a choice, right? Right. It's that as more people become more aware of what COVID is, 
and that it's not just it, it's not like you're just gonna die at the hospital or nothing right? right it's not like you know right so as more people become aware of it more people are like okay i need to balance the fact that i want chicken wings with the fact that i don't want to be on a ventilator <laughs> right the <Yeah>. opportunity cost <laughs> you know? exactly um yeah but i just i think like in two years there are going to be some amazing stuff come down the road technologically speaking truly amazing i i think so like um I've, for some reason I, I, I my thoughts tend to drift to asian culture like you know japan and china where you have these big major metropolitan areas where you know for i probably better part of 10 20 years or longer you've seen a you know maybe not a large majority but very kind of common sight in that time uh, span to see people wearing masks you know for whatever mm -hmm. reasons you know for health or smog or um industrial pollutants or you know car yeah. exhaust or whatever um but we've seen a lot of that technology in those areas um you know i'll give you a good example uh nokia smartphones um so in europe um, people have been able to pay with their smartphone for a vending machine for i think it was in the 90s somewhere around there we haven't wow. really seen that until I don't know, maybe the last five years as a popular type of thing, you know, NFC. So there's all these great technologies that have, have been in these, these areas that people adopted to use. But, um, <laughs> how about this? I'll give you a really good relevant, okay. um, uh, technology that's super related to my, my business area. So one of the other ancillary products that we do is uh, credit card processing, you know? So, I mean, point of sale, you have to take a payment most popular payment choice credit cards, but, um, EMV, um, if I'm not mistaken, if, if my acronym is, is correct, I think it's Euro MasterCard visa is essentially what EMV stands for. And I could be wrong, but it's something similar to that. But EMV has kind of been the, the, the adopted standard for credit card processing in Europe and several places for a long time. Um, and, I think it was three or four years ago. Um, the card brands here in the United States have been trying to push that forever. Um, they finally put out a regulation and it was called the EMV liability shift. And so a lot of people don't know this and a lot of merchants don't know this, but if you process an EMV card on non EMV equipment. So if I go into a Best Buy, hypothetically, now Best Buy has EMV readers, but let's suppose they didn't. If I go in and buy a TV, um, and it's a stolen card or, uh, it's a fraudulent charge. Like, let's suppose I took my mother's card or whatever, or maybe even it's it legit is my card. I pay for the TV. I walk out. If it's stolen, they have to eat that charge. If I dispute it, they have to eat that charge just because I dispute it because it wasn't on an EMV, uh, device. They have to eat that charge. Now, it's not to say that Best Buy couldn't come after me legally in a court of law and say, you know, you disputed this charge, you know, give me the money, you know, that type of thing. But 
that's how serious the uh, credit card companies have gotten about, no, you will take that technology. So essentially they're kind of sticking it to them if something happens. So it's just kind of that example of like, here's technology that's been available forever. It's great. It's wonderful. Americans don't want to do it. (laughs) And then we're all of a sudden like subjected to penalties for not doing it. And then they're still not wanting to do it. Um, Now Best Buy is smart because they Uh don't want to eat those charges, but you know, small, medium businesses, some of them still haven't gotten there. And maybe they have because of the pandemic. So do you find that people are as a rule, are they more technophobic or less technophobic? I think it's an age thing, um, really. And I don't want to be ageist, but um, people that are our age or older are kind of on the fence when it comes to that type of thing. But people that have grown up with cell phones, you know, 20, 25 or or below, or maybe even older than that, you know, they're so used to technology because they grew up with it. You know, it's second nature to them. They want that because, you know, their peer groups are tapping to pay or they use Instagram. They use all these different technologies. So it's much more open and receptive. And I feel like that's the age group that's really kind of taken over from what I've read in the news. You know, there's a lot of baby boomers and older people like hypothetically maybe our age and slightly older and then definitely older than that moving out of the workplace. So they're leaving, you know, they, they're like, <laughs> forget yeah. my, my, my French or I'll quote Danny Glover and lethal weapon getting too old for this shit. You know, they just, they yeah. leave and I'm seeing a lot of business owners do that. They're selling, they're selling their business. They're getting out because they just don't want to deal with it anymore. You know, they're past their time, but yeah, for whatever reason, you know, they're just going to leave. So I think the the relevant answer is, you know, yes, you know, there's a lot of technophobes out there, but I think they're leaving the market. I think a lot of it, cause I had a Reddit exchange with a, with a young man, um, or a young person. I should say, who told me he was 21 and and he was he really didn't know how to do Google SEO. And I just explained to him, I said, you know, you just go to Amazon and get a book. You know, and I gave him a title of a book that I had. And I think that's sort of the new thing is that it's so. It can be so easy to find information but you have to know where to go. Right. Right. And like I was saying earlier, like we're making up the rules of the road. Well, if you've just been running a cash register this whole time, you know, and then all of a sudden there's a virus and you're thinking, how much is all this NFC stuff? Do I really want to do that? I don't know. You know? Yeah. Um, (laughs) I've actually got a customer um, there. They've been in business, I think longer than we have, which we've been in business since, you know, when I was one 1976. Um, but they have not taken cat or they have not taken credit cards this entire time. <laughs> if you can believe that they've got an ATM in their restaurant, but they have not taken credit cards. 
And so they're definitely oh. old school, great people. Um, but they were like, you know, we're just not going to do it. We're not going to do it. We're not going to do it. And they've been on an older system. You know, it's, it's digital, but it's not, you know, it's definitely outdated. Um, but about a year ago they came to us and they're like, okay, we want to get a new system because you know, these other, this other system's legacy and you guys don't really support it. And, um, they were like, well, maybe we'll do credit cards. Yeah, probably will. But you know, it'll be later down the road. Well, this whole time they've had labor shortages and then the people that they do have working with them, if they get COVID, well, they're out for, you know, at this point, you know, I think the, the recommendations have gone from 10 days to five, but most people are still doing 10 days. And so they're short staffed and people call out and that type of deal. And right. what is the reason behind it? You know, it's a counter-based service. They don't take food to the table, but they're always taking cash. So there's always some kind of physical exchange between the customers and the, and the, the employees. So much oh. more likely to get something now yeah. with their new system that they'll be getting, once they get credit cards implemented, you know, they'll never have to essentially touch cash again, unless that's what happens. I would imagine most of their customers would pay in credit cards, but you know, they've, they've kind of been locked into this cycle of, you know, they're potentially alienating other people because of convenience. You know, I don't want to go in and go to an ATM, that type of stuff. I just want to, I just want to tap my phone. I just want to get How many people, I mean, honestly, like how many people even have an ATM card anymore? That's a great question. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I mean, debit cards are pretty common. I'm not asking for a breakdown on the spot. (laughs) I'm just saying like, I was, for some reason, the other day, I was literally thinking, I don't remember the last time I got cash out of an ATM. It happens so rarely for me. I don't remember. (laughs) Uh, My son has drum lessons, and um, it was kind of, it came up in a conversation. So I I also play music, so I'm I'm a wannabe guitarist. I'm not great by any means at all, but I I definitely love music and I really wanted to have a drummer. So I got my son drum lessons from an older gentleman here in town. He's really great. And he was taking payments via square, which square does, you know, I I know the business. So I'm like, okay, you're getting assessed, you know, a certain percentage fee for taking that card. So essentially you're giving me a discount (laughs) or you're getting less money than what you're you're charging me because you have to pay those fees. Um, and so I was like, let me pay you cash because I really like the guy. I really respect him. So yeah, I will go out of my way to get cash. It's more of a hindrance for me, but I really value the service that he provides my son and you know, by yeah. that extension me. So I go out of my way to give him cash, but you're right. I mean, you know, it, unless I absolutely have a need for cash, there's no reason for me to go get cash. Um, as a matter of fact, I make my wife get the cash because I don't remember what my pin number is. <laughs> hmm. So one of the topics I always bring up <laughs> with people that I can bring up is um, what, what's your take on cryptocurrency? I mean, do you think that, do you think that is the future or it, it is just, you know, maybe not a thing to take to the market, but maybe to invest in, or do you think it's a, a Ponzi scheme or what? 
Oh, I've got a great opinion about this. <laughs> so my, my in-laws are, um, really interesting people. Um, it, it, so I'll, I'll give you a story. So at one point, my brother-in-law was taking, um, he was into silver as a, as okay. a form of, of payment. Okay. And so, um, it was kind of this alternative currency, if you will. I think it was called Liberty Dollar. So it was pure silver. Um, and essentially, he was bartering with people to pay with silver. Um, so I, I'm, I'm going to let you draw your own conclusions about his political <laughs> persuasions. But it was an okay. interesting type of idea that, you know, you could pay with this alternative currency. And so I think at some point it got popular regionally, I guess. I mean, popular is subjective. I wouldn't say it hit the national news, but um, the secret service got wind of it. And so they essentially classified it as a uh, counterfeit or some specific law. So the person who was in charge of that, they actually sent him to prison. <laughs> um, he'd written this really great book about why, you know, bartering and these alternative currencies were kind of at the core of, you know, America. And obviously America didn't think that way, but it was still pretty neat. Um, but when I thought of cryptocurrency, I heard Bitcoin and all these different things come out. The only thing I could think of was how harsh is the government going to come down on this? Um, and it hasn't really played out that way. Um, it seems like that it's kind of expanded in a lot of ways, but my opinion is it's blown way out of proportion. Um, you know, in my business, you know, as far as like being able to pay with something in cryptocurrency at a point of sale. So average transactions across America, I've had one customer ask me about Bitcoin, but it was not for his business. He just wanted to get into it as an investment to make money off of it. So I think that's really the, the, the big thing where people are wanting to do stuff like they want to make money. They want to use it as an investment tool. But as far as actually paying for it, I, I think that's such a niche market. You know, there are certain people that are into it, but yeah. you know, average Americans, I'd probably say 99% of people are just not into it. I think it gets I mean, a lot of media attention because of like Elon Musk and, you know, influencers and these big people dropping it. And, and then the wild fluctuations in the price. But as far as like it being useful as a true currency, I just don't see it. I mean, okay. So I have an evolve. I have what I would characterize as an evolving take on Bitcoin. Okay. Mm -hmm. My take on Bitcoin right now, like right at this moment is that if it ever got really big if it ever got really really big to where you literally started thinking about well I could take could I take this bitcoin down to the corner store and pick up a gallon of milk okay if it ever got that big, either the either there would be a total sea change with the Secret Service, or there would be something that would happen 
on a scale on that would make 9/11 look like a blip on the radar. Okay, just like a little blip, right? Right. Right. Um my other take is however <laughs> there's a however here, there's a but. The but is um because I talk to folks all over the world, I've talked to people who have legitimate problems with their government. Whoever whoever their government happens to be, okay? And so in some countries in this world, if you if you're on some naughty list, you can't go down to the market and use that country's currency to buy things. So they have to use crypto to to buy hmm. stuff. Okay. That's interesting. I had not heard that. Yeah. Well, see, I hadn't either, but I've been talking to folks all over the globe. So, you know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So that's yeah. the take I that's the take I have that right now. That today I don't know if I think it's a Ponzi scheme or like a wannabe investment, <laughs> but it's going to be limited as long as you can't take it to the store. However, there are people who need it because they can't use their country's currency to buy things. So, yeah, I, th I think that the, um, I mean, not being able to pay for, um, not being able to pay with, you know that 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 just seems like a a basic human right. You know, if you're not able to essentially acquire things that you need with the currency that you that is legal tender for everyone, um, that that's appalling to me. You know, I don't really get too shocked about things I hear in the news, but to me, that's just that's well, that's amazing. I mean, in this in this day and age that we that you and I find ourselves in today. You know, we, we live adjacent to people that throw around the word authoritarian a lot uh, for different things, okay? But when you talk to people who do live in an authoritarian government, you know, and they're just trying to function, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And But the thing, the interesting thing about that particular cryptocurrency or those cryptocurrencies is, so they're made by U.S. companies. They're made by companies that run, that are banks in America that offer these as products to people who live in authoritarian governments. Just saying. So, you know. Just saying. But, um, yeah. So what do you see, like, put your crystal ball on or look in the crystal ball for me. What do you see technologically, like, in five years? <laughs> like, in five years? Um, yeah. I am not sure. Um, I, I think that probably the uh the the biggest thing that that's probably going to come out is vr i would say is probably the the next biggest thing um i've seen the prices drop so much i think with the uh, facebook vr type of device it's gotten so cheap that um 
I, I think somehow or another that's going to get pushed to the next boundary. Um, probably, probably in no doubt because of, you know, the need to be close to people, but with COVID and that type of life, you know, life cycle of, of having to not yeah. be close to people. I think that's going to be the newest, I wouldn't say newest tech, but it's kind of like with what we've been saying, it's been out there, but it just hasn't really been utilized correctly or, you know, there's other reasons why it's adoption hasn't been widespread or whatever, but I think it's coming. Um, I just couldn't tell you if it's definitely going to be five years or a year or so from now. I remember, I don't, I don't remember what year this was, but I don't even remember, honestly, if it was before the pandemic, but I, I remember reading very, you know, relatively recently, um, what the average internet speed was in this country for the average American. And just because I'm a podcaster and I see the download speed, I see people's download speed tell, tail to tail, so to say, right? Um, I can tell you that the average download speed in this country is speeding up and the average upload speed in this country is speeding up. But it's got to get way faster for VR to be to be a thing, you know, um, that people can use. But as soon as I hear like a podcaster or somebody say, I don't know what the use case for VR would even be. I'm like, really? Because I do. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So let me tell you what I think the use case is. I don't see what you think it is. So I'm sure you're aware of this. I'm sure you're aware that they came out with a smartphone before they came out with the smartphone. Like they came out with a phone that did a lot of what the smartphone did before they decided to call it the smartphone. Okay. Um, but they marketed it to the wrong people. They marketed it to business people. They didn't market it to kids. Okay. When you took a phone and marketed it to kids, the kids thought, oh, I can talk to Susie or I can talk to Johnny or I can do this or I can do that or blah, 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 right? So I think the use case of VR is going to be, I want to see that person on the other side of the world. Like, I want to see them. Yeah. I, I want to be in their physical, I want to be in some representation of physical space with that person on, across the planet. That's what I think the use case is. I, I totally I th- agree. Exactly. <laughs> and I think that's going to be a game changer. Yeah, I, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head, you know, that personal interaction, yeah. you know, and not just from the kid perspective, but, um, you know, as somebody who is obviously middle-aged and I've got older parents, which it's funny, my dad got me into technology. He got my, my he got me my first computer when I was five, but yeah. he can hardly even operate an iPhone. So having these really yeah. easy to use things that I can communicate with him and he can see me and um, yeah. that type of thing is, is kind of a big deal. So I think, you know, kids wanting to, you know, do easy things that are fun, you know, par- parental type of like, I want to talk to Susie. Well, 
you know, it's COVID and you can't see her. Okay. Well, we'll just hook up VR, you know, it, I can, I can definitely see that, but you know, the, the older generations and that type of thing. Um, now, am I saying that there'll be a VR headset on my dad's head? Probably not, (laughs) but, um, you know, maybe at some point my kids are trying to do that to me whenever I get that old, you know? Well, I mean, one of my guests, um, was a young man who is working in a, in a brand new medicine, brand new type of medicine. Okay. Mm -hmm. Where they're going to be able to come up with treatments for all sorts of, you know, mainline killers. Like all, they're going to, in the next five or six years, according to this guest, right? There's going to be a whole lot of big deal killers, like a whole lot of double digit percentage killers of the American people that come off the table, right? So I think that, you know, 60 is going to be a lot younger than it is today in 20 years. Okay. I'm just, yeah, saying. I always take comments like that with a grain of salt. <laughs> um, you know, I, you know, I, I found your podcast via Reddit. Um, I just have to ask how many posts have you seen on Reddit and obviously considering the source, um, and its validity, but you know, oh, they found a cure for this and this treatment really eliminates cancer. We've been seeing these for like the past 20 years. I don't think I've ever seen anything really come out of, of these things. So I always have to take those comments of like with a grain of salt, you know, that like, Hey, we're gonna, we're gonna fix the world. There's a lot of optimistic people out there. And like, I, I want to believe I'm like Fox Mulder from X-Files. I'm like, I want to believe. <laughs> well, I mean, um, okay. Um, skin cancer, right? That's not something you have to die of anymore. Yeah. If you get it, if you get it at the right time. Um, yeah, my wife, um, had that during COVID. Um, yeah, she, um, actually she had it while she had COVID. Um, I take that back. She, she had surgery to remove it. It was a small little piece, but um, they took a big hunk out of her arm. And right after that happened, we got, she got COVID. And so I had to take out her stitches, um, which was a little gross, you know, I, <laughs> but you know, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm definitely prepared to, to be able to do something like that. But um, yeah, it's definitely treatable if you catch it quick enough for sure. Right. And now they have, I mean, now they have like all sorts of treatments for, what was it? Uh, Alzheimer's, but you have to catch it on time. And they've got treatments for, um, you know, heart, serious heart problems now that they didn't used to have. So... But yeah, I know I believe, I honestly believe that maybe not when he was talking about me, maybe not in two years or three years or whatever, but I really do see it where they're just going to be taking lots of killers off the table. Um, You know, plus like the diets people eat or have available to eat now are better than they used to be. 
right? And that's a that's a big deal. Yeah, something about what you said. Um, you know, if it's caught early enough, um, yeah. I, I, not to turn this into a healthcare debate, but you know the <laughs> the fact that you know healthcare is more about treating as opposed to preventing is. Yeah, that that still blows my mind. I'm like, okay, no, Even it does. All the yeah. changes that are going on in healthcare and whatnot, you know, there's still this huge gulf of, you know, we don't really care about prevention, you know, where, you know, preventative maintenance and exams and that type of stuff, just we don't care. It's you know, it's for whatever reason, either there's more mm. money to be made in in fixing, but you know. From, from a business perspective, and I, I like to draw these parallels between business and, and personal, but in business, you don't want to be a fireman and putting out fires. You want to be preventative. You want to make sure that these things never take place. And so, you know, cross that parallel right. into your personal life and physicality. Um, right. And I'm a hypocrite because <laughs> I don't necessarily take the best care of myself, but, you know, if there was more incentives, if, if, you know, if I could go to a doctor on a regular basis and not essentially have to pay out a huge amount of money to, to make sure that I was taking care of myself and preventing and screening and that type of thing. Um, I, I think the demand on healthcare would be far less, you know, these things would, you know, where a problem has to be resolved right away, a preventative thing, maybe that can have some flexibility in scheduling or having it done, but yeah, you know, it, in taking advantage of these new testings and, or therapies where it's caught early, you don't have to have this life-altering chemotherapy routine or other types of things. Maybe right. it can be minimized. Well, I'm nothing if not a rosy-eyed optimist, so, <laughs> <laughs> you know. But, you know, I, I just... But also, you never know, like, the... So you said you were a student of history. Mm -hmm. So one thing, so I have a master's in history. And one thing you've learned in history is that the consciousness can shift, right? For lack of a better way to say it, consciousness can really honestly shift, right? And yeah. it shifted with the industrial revolution it shifted with uh feudalism it shifted coming out of feudalism it, it it shifted so much with the renaissance that you could actually argue that there was actually things that happened in the brain right right that there's a color i think blue came about because of the renaissance like people could see blue hmm. you know yeah that's something i haven't heard so thank you for that i'm gonna totally research that no it, i forget the actual color i'm saying it was blue it could have been blue but i know there was a color that literally came into being during the renaissance and existed hmm. nowhere else before that that is interesting. So you could argue that the human brain basically shifted during the Renaissance. So I, I would agree with that. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, I think one thing I would add to that is, um, I guess sexuality um, would probably mm-hmm. be um, one thing that I would see as that where um, predominantly, you know, if you look at the male and female species, um, you know, typically brawny, you know, muscular, athletic was the desirable trait. And then with women, um, I, I guess it's always kind of been the same to a certain degree, but probably from um, the male perspective of nowadays being kind of brainy and smart, you know, is kind of having its heyday where people see that as like, that's attractive, you know, because that translates to, you know, somebody that's reliable or has the resources that could take care of me or my family, that type of thing. So Mm. I I can see where that conscious shift is, is changing, you know, where, you know, the typical, what mores and norms of sexuality are kind of moving away, you know, the millionaire billionaire type of vibe (laughs) Mm. is kind of having, you know, it's kind of heyday of, of some sort. Although I admit that probably rich people have always had a, a certain degree of, um, attractiveness throughout history, no matter what time period it was. But. A certain degree of a heyday, basically. Yeah. 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 I think, and I also think like, you know, I think one of the reasons why this technology thing wasn't as big a deal for us as it was our parents is like, we had video games and they didn't like, yeah. we had fun technology that we wanted to learn about. Yeah, and it was fun. Open the door. You know. Yeah, it wasn't a job. It was fun. I think you hit the nail on the head. You know, right? To, to me, technology has right. has been fun and cool. And like, there's flashing lights. Like, literally, I've got a, a road podcaster. Or, um, I think it's a podcaster, whatever. But it's got pretty lights all over it, and it makes it fun. And you know, if if something technological is not fun, then are you going to adopt it? Probably not, but right. um, gamification, I'm starting to see that as a buzz thing in a lot of what different ways where um, yeah. like, you know, the beginning of the year, what does everybody want to do? Lose weight. Um, a few years ago, I got into an app called Noom, not a sponsor, <laughs> but um, they kind of gamified the way that you lost weight in the motivational things. And I'm starting to see things like that in our everyday life. Um, so yeah, I, th- I think the fun aspect of technology is the thing that changed things and maybe video games were kind of the, the part that did that. Yeah. Um, although I think that I've heard porn is the other aspect that's driven a lot of technology as well. Well, yeah, no, I, I read a, I read a book, um, when I was in college, um, years ago now that actually porn you're right, drove a lot of internet technology, like a lot of actual hardware innovations. Yeah, I think online credit card payments initially were tied to um, pornography Mm -hmm. sites. Um, I think the, I think it's been debatable, but the difference between VHS and beta, beta was technologically a superior format, but apparently porn was more accessible to the VHS format. And that's why it became more of the, 
the winner <laughs> in the it's, VCR it's, wars. It's funny because I used to work in this place where like we dealt with beta and we dealt with VHS, right? And you could literally see, like you could see in the stock, the actual stock, like, oh yeah, beta ages way better than VHS does. Mm-hmm. Like, like the image is just better qualitatively. <laughs> and we always used to say like, it'd be hilarious because we were these young kids that never grew up with beta machines. Like none of us had a beta machine at the house. Right. right? But we, <laughs> we were all saying, Oh yeah, man, man, the, man, those old people, they had it right, man. The beta, <laughs> the beta was just so much better. But wow, because I always wondered in the back of my mind, like, how did VHS went out? <laughs> yeah, I, um, I remember, um, so I've always been a technophile um, mm-hmm. in the 90s. <laughs> Sometimes I, I recall stories with such clarity that it it makes me feel like I'm, I'm being an idiot, but um, it was... DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. Um, you may know him as Will Smith. Um, I remember reading uh, in an interview, and I'm not going to quote any of this. It's just complete paraphrasing. But he was talking about how great the technology was in Japan. And um, there is a district in Japan, and it was the one he was referring to that is this technological district where there's all this great, amazing technology. And he was talking about all the... Uh, the different uh, music formats, like um, I think they were like the Sony mini disc and all these other neat little portable things where, you know, this was like the heyday of like, you know, you're making the jump from cassette to CD and there were these really great, you know, super amazing formats that were super small, kind of, you know, the physical media part of, or counterpart to like an MP3 player, whenever those came out. Yeah. And he was like, you know, I got these kind of decks and I got these Denon um, home or amplifiers and all this other stuff. And he's talking about all these really cool things that number one, I'd never heard of. Number two, I would only see in a magazine somewhere. And number three, I still haven't seen in real life. (laughs) Um, But it was this really great, cool technology that, that was out there. um, And that just never got adopted. Um, You know, it was, and why it's, it's almost kind of like, what our whole conversation has kind of loosely had at the edges of like, you know, there's a great technology, but nobody's adopting it. And why, you know, is it, yeah. is it because we just, we either don't want to, or we, you know, we're, we're just techno idiots and just don't realize the value in it. Or at this point in 2022, are we just so burned out on, having all this new technology thrown at us that we're waiting for somebody else, like an influencer to tell us this is what you need to have. I have the stupidest reason for getting a smartphone outside of, I just thought it was cool. But, um, the first iPhone that came out, um, I I was like, that's kind of neat. You know, it's touchscreen. Cool. Um, (laughs) there was a lightsaber app for the iPhone. Uh-huh. So it used the gyroscope. So if you moved it, it made the, you know, and it, you know, mm. it just kind of, it was like you had your own lightsaber. And, mm. um, after I saw that, I was like, I gotta have one. I gotta <laughs> have it. 
yeah. I had to have it. Um, I'm a huge Star Wars fan, and but you know, obviously, I got yeah. into the like, oh, this has other benefits besides that. But yeah, it was um, a lot of times my uh, techno lust has been because of stupid, simple things, but it always turns into something so much more. But it's yeah. yeah. Well, that's like I discovered. Po- I discovered podcasts as an accident. You know, on accident, basically. And once I discovered that, I I was an avid listener. And then I was like, I want to make one of these. How do you do that? Like, what do you do? And so I figured it out. And this thing just took off. (laughs) And, you know, but it's just so amazing this world we live in. You know? Yeah. I'm um... I'm continually amazed. (laughs) That's interesting hearing your podcast uh, origin story. Um, I don't think yeah. that I, I don't think that I even had that that inclination to you know, hey, you know, I could do that. Um, well, maybe. I mean, I think I think I had all this stuff laying around in microphones and whatnot mm-hmm. and musical gear, and um, yeah. I think my kids wanted to do YouTube videos, and I was like, well, we could do a podcast. I mean, that's easy, right? How hard could it be? Um, and now having a podcast, you know, it's like, yeah, it's 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 a little bit more difficult than that. It's not that easy. What's what's your podcast about? Uh, so my podcast, um, it, it's um, it, it's called "You're Not My Father." So I grew up without um, a father in my daily life. I'm not going to say he wasn't there, but um, he was uh, military and then he was law enforcement and my parents got a divorce. Long story short, my parents raised me, if you could say that, as like a free range kid, you know, like a free range chicken. It was just like, yeah, go do whatever. So I didn't really have like true guidance on a daily basis. Um, there were some times where I would go to a friend's house for a couple of weeks and my parents would not even notice. So, Jesus. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, and, um, these, so days, I, I, these days you'd get the police involved. Well, yeah. Well, my dad was captain of the sheriff's department at that point in time. So, oh, okay. <laughs> I guess All they right. weren't going to do too much to him, but, um, I, 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 me growing up, you know, I, I tried to make myself a better person, um, via, you know, movies and books and magazines of like Danny Glover in Lethal Weapon. I mentioned him earlier. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, Lethal Weapon 2, he was teaching his son how to shave. Literally, I did not really know how to shave. I just like shaving cream and a razor and you wave it around in your face and, you know, something happens. But, you know, he was articulating with his son, you know, what you got to do is shave against the grain. And I was like, okay, I'm not quite sure what the grain is, but, you know, kind of got me down that road of thinking like, yeah personal grooming habits um so anyway getting getting back to why i created the show is uh i think that i turned out pretty well um considering where i came from and what i had to do i've had a lot of unique personal experiences but um i wanted to create something that was catering from a fatherly advice to somebody that um either didn't have a father figure in their life or needed a better one 
you know, to be able to give them advice on things that were kind of commonplace or maybe even big picture stuff. Um, so it's, it's kind of like a fatherly advice show, but, um, I call it tongue in cheek, you know, kind of comedy, um, dad jokes, that type of stuff, but there's always a, a fun element, but there's always a, uh, a serious element to it. Right. Um, so I have a, an existential problem. Um, you know, I'm concerned with death and reconciling the afterlife and, you know, a potential blackness of nothing with, um, religious beliefs and whatnot. So all my life I've been interested in, in essentially immortality. I've been attracted to books that talked about living for centuries, you know, kind of like vampires or mystical or magical type things or religious type aspects or whatever. Um, but when it comes down to it from a historical perspective, um, I'm a big fan of Roman history. And so the ancient Romans were big on leaving something of themselves behind, you know, they were sponsoring games that, you know, celebrated somebody's life or, or tombs or art, um, just, you know, history is full of these ways of immortality, I guess. And so really it's what you leave behind that is like, like who you were. Um, so if people don't remember you, then you essentially were, did you even exist? So I, I guess the podcasting and, um, I did journaling for a long time on something called live journal. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. So I've, I've been big into, you know, trying to leave something for my, my kids and, you know, pre or future generations, you know, to kind of know who I am and, and know what I was. So podcasting to me is that, um, kind of way of communicating beyond the grave or, you know, whatever. Um, and it's interesting. So I don't listen to a whole lot of podcasts, but when I do, I listen to something you know, like your podcast that's history related. But um, I was listening to, to one the other day. It was um, This American Life. And so they were, I think the episode was called Ghost in the Machine. And apparently that came about from Edison phonographs and, and that type of stuff. Um, and one of the things that they mentioned was the RCA logo. So everybody thinks about it as the dog listening to the phonograph and then the caption says, uh, listening to his master's voice. Well, they kind of went a little bit further into the original art for that. And so it was the dog sitting on a coffin, listening to his master's voice and his ears are kind of perking up. And so in that podcast, they were talking about, you know, the phonograph was kind of a way of, you know, putting that future immortality. And I was like, that's the exact reason why I'm doing this well, for the most part. Um, but you know, kind of 50%, you know, immortality, 50% trying to help somebody. And so my podcast is, you know, ultimately kind of self-serving, you know, that immortality, immortality aspect, but really hoping that people get something out of it, you know, providing some kind of value. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I, I don't know, man. I just always think about, you know, just always think about like all the different, um, people I've talked to and how different I used to be before I started talking to folks all over the world. 
Thank you, Thomas, for coming on my show. And thank you for talking to me about your podcast and your point of sale business. And I just really love these business owner podcasts because I honestly think you guys are out here trying to solve problems in the middle of a plague. And I, I really think that that's the real story of, of this uh, pandemic here in this country is, is regular business owners actually trying to solve this problem and, and basically bring us into the new world. And thank you for coming on here and talking about the You're Not My Father podcast. It is a family-oriented podcast about things that, you know, your father might not tell you about growing up and living in the world, and I'm sure people are going to love it. All right, everybody, this has been Ben Kitchings uh, reminding you I'm having a great day, and I hope you are too, and I'll see you guys later. And please check out Thomas's podcast and if you're in the Alaska area, um, also check out his business, and I'm sure he'll be able to hook you up. All right, folks, I'll talk to you later, and uh, have a nice day. Bye-bye.